Welcome to Zichud Daf Siman Memorei Ram Goldar, and today we're Zerka Zerka Daf Nun Dal, the fifth parak Helchogil. So the three topics we're going to focus on. Number one, the Gemara points out that the Mishnah Daf Nun Gimel Amud Beis that listed the forty-eight blasts that took place every Shabbos during the Chag mentions three blasts that took place by the Mizbeach and does not mention the three blasts that were sounded when the trumpeters reached the tenth step, which is described in the previous Mishnah on Daf Nun Aleph Amud Beis. The Gemara answers that our Mishnah is the opinion of Rebbeezer ben Yaakov, and the previous Mishnah is that of the Rabbanim. Rebbeezer holds, came to the Taka of Sichu Sha'arim, Ramallah series Rami the Taka. Once they had blown for the opening of the gates, why blow at the tenth step, Hailab Sharhu? That's not a gate, and therefore not an appropriate location for blowing. Therefore, Al Gabi Amizbeach, Adif, sounding the three blasts at the Mizbeach, is preferable. The Rabbanim holds, came to the Taka of Mili Hamayim, Al Gabi Amizbeach, Ramali. Since one blows to mark the water drawing, why blow at the side of the Mizbeach? Therefore, it's preferable to sound the three blasts at the tenth step. Rashi explains that doing at the tenth step is associated to the water drawing. Point of it to the Mishnah and stated regarding the blowing of the Chatzrotzros, that Ubu Musafim Otesha, that there were another nine blows for the Musafim. When Rabbi Akhabar Hanina arrived from the south, he brought the following bracelet with them. The Pazik states, And the sons of Arn, the Kohanim, they shall blow the trumpets. Now the expression shall blow did not need to be stated, since it has already been stated in the same Pasuk, And you shall blow the trumpets over your olos and shlumming. Now what does the Pasuk teach by stating, You shall blow? It teaches that we blow according to the Musafim. Rabbi Yachim Brachanin explained the Bryce as follows. It teaches that we blow a separate set of trumpet blasts for each and every Musaf. Now, the Gemara will bring several challenges to this ruling, attempting to show that on certain days it would result in more than 48 maximum soundings of the Chatzrotzos mentioned in the Mishnah. Ultimately, Rabbi Yachim Brachanin's opinion will be refuted. And point number three, when the Gemara challenges the maximum limit of 48 trumpet blasts from the case of Erev Pesach that fell on Shabbos, which would result in more. It answers that the Mishnah only mentions cases that occur every year. Now, the Gemara objects to this answer since the case of 48 blasts that our Mishnah mentions is when Arab Shabbos falls during Sukkot. Sometimes it does not occur, such as when the first day of Sukkot falls on Arab Shabbos. The Gemara answers that when the first day of Sukkot is scheduled to fall on Arab Shabbos, we postpone it one day until Shabbos. Why is it postponed? Since if the first day of Sukkot falls on Erev Shabbos, then Yom Kippur would have been on the previous Sunday. In order to prevent that from happening, we add a day to Elul in order to postpone it one day. Rashi explains that it's not desirable for Yom Kippur to fall Shabbos since anyone dying on Shabbos would remain unburied for two days until after Yom Kippur. Furthermore, any vegetables that one prepares to eat after Yom Kippur will have to be picked two days earlier on Friday and will wilt by the time they are needed. The Gemara will bring the opinion of others who do not hold of adjusting the calendar to prevent Yom Kippur from falling on a Sunday. So once again, the three points are number one. The Gemara points out that the Mishnah on Daf Nun Gimel Amid Beis that it listed the 48 blasts that took place Erev Shabbos during the Chag mentions three blasts that took place by the Mizbeach and does not mention the three blasts that were sounded when the trumpeters reached the 10th step, which was described in the previous Mishnah on Daf Nun Aleph Amid Beis. The Gemara answers that our Mishnah is the opinion of Rebbe Yezer ben Yaakov, and the previous Mishnah is that of the Rabban. Rebbe Yezer holds, came the Taka B'sichu Sha'arim, Ramala Siris, Rami Taka. Once they had blown for the opening of the gates, why blow at the tenth step? I love Sharu. That's not a gate, and therefore not an appropriate location for blowing. Therefore, Al Gabi Hamizbech, Adiv, sounding the three blasts at the Mizbech, is preferable. 
Rabban hold, since one blows to mark the water drawing, why blow at the side of the Mizbeach? Therefore, it's preferable to sound the three blasts at the tenth step. Rush explains that doing it at the tenth step is associated to the water drawing. Pointing to the Mishnah and say regarding the blowing the Chatzosos, that there were another nine blows for the Musafim. When Rabbi Yachabar Hanin arrived from the south, he brought the following Brisa with him. The Pusik states, and the sons of Aaron the Kohanim, they shall blow the trumpets. Now, the expression shall blow did not need to be stated, since it has already been stated in the same Pasuk, and you shall blow the trumpets over your Olas and Shlamim. What does the Pasuk teach by stating, you shall blow? It teaches that we blow according to the Musafim. Rabbi Yachab explained the Brisa as follows, it teaches that we blow a separate set of trumpet blasts for each and every Musa. The Moral brings several challenges to this ruling, attempting to show that on certain days it would result in more than the 48 maximum soundings of the Chatzrotzos mentioned in the Mishnah, and ultimately Rabbi Yaakov Rechenin's opinion will be refuted. In point number three, when the Gemara challenges the maximum limit of 48 trumpet blasts in the case of Air Pesach that fell on Shabbos, which would result in more, it answers that the Mishnah only mentions cases that occur every year. Now, the Gemara objects to this answer, since the case of 48 blasts that our Mishnah mentions is when Erev Shabbos falls during Sukkot. Sometimes that does not occur, such as when the first day of Sukkot falls on Erev Shabbos. The Gemara answers that when the first day of Sukkot is scheduled to fall on Erev Shabbos, we postpone it one day until Shabbos. Now, why is it postponed? Since if the first day of Sukkot falls out on Erev Shabbos, then Yom Kippur would have been on the previous Sunday. In order to prevent that from happening, we add a day to Elul in order to postpone it one day. Rashi explains that it's not desirable for Yom Kippur to fall on Shabbos, since anyone dying on Shabbos would remain unburied for two days until after Yom Kippur. Furthermore, any vegetables that one prepares to eat after Yom Kippur will have to be picked two days earlier on Friday and will wilt by the time they are needed. The Gemara will bring the opinion of others who do not hold of adjusting the calendar to prevent Yom Kippur from falling on a Sunday. All right, so now we go to our Simber Daphne and Dalit, and our standard simon is noodles, noodles. So here goes. The noodle-loving king, who required his subjects to blow trumpets three times on the tenth step, when they offered him noodles, and then blow nine times again for each additional offering, changed the fast day schedule so he would never have to abstain from noodles on a Sunday. Once again, it's a motion. The noodle-loving king, noodle-loving king, that must be run Daphne and noodles. The noodle-loving king who required his subjects to blow trumpets three times on the tenth step when they offered him noodles, which reminds us, the Gemara points out that the Mishnah on Duff, Nun Gimel Amabes, that listed the 48 blasts that took place every Shabbos during the Chag, mentions three blasts that took place by the Mizbeach, whereas the Mishnah on Duff, Nun Alf Amabes, mentions the three blasts that were sounded when the trumpeters reached the tenth step. The Gemara explains that this Mishnah is Rabbi Yazib and Yaakov who holds that since the blowing was done at the gates, what relevance is there to blow on the tenth step? Therefore, the Mizbeach is adif, is preferable. And the previous Mishnah is Rabban who holds that since the blowing was for the water drawing, the tenth step is related to that, whereas the Mizbeach is not. So the noodle-loving king who required his subjects to blow trumpets three times on the tenth step when they offered him noodles, and then blow nine times again for each additional offering, which reminds us Rabbi Yachim Barchanin brings a brisa and a pasuk which he uses to base his ruling that nine blasts of the trumpets are done for each separate musaf. The moral brings several challenges to this ruling, attempting to show that on certain days it would result in more than the 48 maximum soundings of the Chatzrotzrotz mentioned in the Mishnah. So the noodle-loving king who required his subjects to blow trumpets three times on the tenth step, when they offered him noodles, and then blow nine times again for each additional offering, changed the fast day schedule so he would never have to abstain from noodles 
on a Sunday. Which reminds us, the Gemara explains that when the first day of Sukkot is scheduled to fall on Erev Shabbos, we postpone it one day until Shabbos, since if the first day of Sukkot falls out on Erev Shabbos, then Yom Kippur would have been on the previous Sunday. In order to prevent that from happening, we add a day to Elul in order to postpone it one day. Rashi explains that it's not desirable for Yom Kippur to fall Shabbos, since anyone dying on Shabbos would remain unburied for two days until after Yom Kippur. And furthermore, any vegetables that one prepares to eat after Yom Kippur will have to be picked two days earlier on Friday and will wilt by the time they are needed. The Gemara will bring the opinion of others who do not hold of adjusting the calendar to prevent Yom Kippur from falling on a Sunday. So once again, the noodle-loving king who required his subjects to blow trumpets three times on the tenth step when they offered him noodles and then blow nine times again for each additional offering changed the fast day schedule so he would never have to abstain from noodles on a Sunday. All right, now it's time for four blah blah chazar. Dafnun. So the simmer Dafnun is a nincompoop. So here goes. The nincompoop, nincompoop. That must be more on Dafnun. The nincompoop who bumped into a golden barrel of unconsecrated water, which reminds us that just as Nisach was performed on a weekday, was performed on Shabbos, except that the Kohen would not draw the water from the Meshaloch on Shabbos itself, rather on every Shabbos he would fill a Chabishol Zaham, Sheinim Kodesh, as an unconsecrated barrel from the Shiloh, and have it in the chamber used the next day. Ziri said the reason an unconsecrated barrel was used was because the Tamar Mish maintains that Klishar is Mekadshim Shulah Medas, that a Klishar sanctified the continents without intention. If one brought the water in a Klishar, on every Shabbos, it become possible through Lina. Chizkiah said the Klisharis does not sanctify except with dust, so there is no concern of actual lean. However, they were goes that it should be placed in an unconsecrated vessel, lest onlookers see the water in the Klisharis and assume it was sanctified with dust. So the nincompoop who bumped into a golden barrel of unconsecrated water and dropped his flute into it, as a choir sang, which reminds us the opening mission of the fifth parak states that the Khalil, the flute playing, that accompanied the Simcha's base Shuwaib was not the Khishabaz Yantav, and the Gwar explains because it was merely there to enhance rejoicing, it's not a true avoda and therefore not Dokhishabas. Rav Yosef explained to Malchokas regarding the flute playing for the Shir Shal Karban, but Rav Yosef Rav Yudah holds that it is Docha Shabbos because Ikr Shir Bakli, the essential Shir, is with instruments, Vavodihi, and therefore it's deemed an Avoda and is Docha Shabbos. Whereas Rabban held it was not Docha Shabbos or Yanta because Ikr Shir Bapet, the essential Shir, is vocal, and the instrumental accompaniment is not an Avoda and so is not Docha Shabbos. So the Ninkampupu bumped into a golden barrel of unconsecrated water and dropped his flute into it as a choir sang pulled out an ancient wooden one from his pocket, and continued on his way. Which reminds us, it was taught in a price regarding the suitability of clay shards that were fashioned from wood, Rebbe's postal them, and Rebbe Yossi Bar Yudas them. One shot in the Machokas is whether Dunning Efshar, Mishi Efshar, whether we can derive a possibility from an impossibility. Do we derive the suitability of wood for other Kleshars where metal would serve as well? From the case of Moshe's wood and flute, where metal would not have served as well, since a metal flute would not have sounded so sweet, or perhaps since the flute had to be made of reed, no proof can be brought for the other Kleshars. Rabbi Yosef Barhuda's Maksha wooden vessels holds Dunning Efshar, Mishi Efshar, whereas Rabbi, who is posting them, holds Lo Dunning Efshar, Mishi Efshar. Daphnanov. So Sim Daphnanov is beaver pelt hats. So here goes. The beaver pelt hat society. Beaver pelt hats. That must be more on Daphnanov. Nah. The beaver pelt hat society enjoying a concert of vocalists with no instrumentation, which reminds us that the source was brought for the one who holds that Ikershira Bakli and for the other one who holds Ikershira Bafet. So the Beaver Pelt Hat Society, enjoying a concert of vocalists with no instrumentation and fascinated by the stage that seemed to undulate like waves, which reminds us, whoever did not see the Simcha's base of Shueva never saw Simcha in his days. Whoever didn't see Yerushalayim in its splendor, Lora Krach Nechmad Mo'olam, 
never saw a delightful city in his life. Whoever did not see the base of Migdash when it stood, referring to the one built by Hurdos, never saw a binyan before, a magnificent structure in his life. The Gemara describes how the different color marble that was used made the walls appear like they were undulating, like waves. So the Beaver Pelt Hat Society, enjoying a concert of vocalists with no instrumentation, and fascinated by the stage walls that seemed to undulate like waves, sat in the section of the massive auditorium where poor Beaver Pelt Hat wearers could find them. Which reminds us, whoever did not see the Diabrostone of Alexandria at Mitzrayim never saw the glory of Israel. It was a massive basilica. The Chazan HaKnesses need to stand on a platform in the center and wave a flag to indicate to people when to say Amen. And people sat in sections according to the profession. When a poor person came, he would find his fellow craftsmen and seek employment. Daphnun base. So the Simmer Daphnun base is a newbie to Yiddishkeit. So here goes. The female newbies to Yiddishkeit who sat up in the balcony away from the men to hear a sheer about the Yetzirah, which reminds us that Rub brought a pasuk from Zechariah's vision of the war of Gog and Magog and the Hespadim over the death of Mashiach and Yosef, where the women and men were separated to teach that it was permissible to make the Deacon Gadol, the balcony for the women in the Ezra's Nashim, so they shouldn't mingle with the men at the Simchas Beis Shueva. If in the future when the world will be involved in the Hesped and the Yetzirah has no power over them as it will be eradicated, yet the Torah said that the men and women should mourn separately, and all the more so at the Simchas Beis Shueva, when they are involved in Simcha and the Yetzirah has power over them, all the more so, they should be separated. So the female newbies to Yiddishkeit, who sat up in the balcony away from the men, to hear a sheer about the Yetzirah, were shown pictures of mountains and strands of hair, which reminds us that there is a Malchus Ridos in the Rabban regarding the nature that has been mentioned above. One said it was over Mashiach ben Yosef, who had been killed in battle, and one said it will be for the Yetzirah, which will have been eradicated. The grass, why does the eradication of the Yetzirah warrant weeping? And answers, the Yud expounded that in the future, Kodesh will bring the Yetzirah and shecht it in the presence of Tzaddikim, and the Rishayim, to the Tzaddik in the Yetzirah will appear like a high mountain that can hardly be scaled, and to the Rishayim will appear like a strand of hair that can easily be snapped. They will both cry that, that Tzaddik will weep and say, how were we able to overcome such a high mountain? And the Rishayim will weep and say, how were we not able to overcome the strand of hair? So the female newbies to Yiddishkeit, who sat up in the balcony away from the men to hear a sheer about the Yetzirah, were shown pictures of mountains and strands of hair and taught the different meanings of its seven names. Which reminds us that Rabbi Avirak and others say it was Rabbi Shubin Levi, the Chief of Shem was Yeshua Yetzirah. The Yetzirah has seven different names. We also learn from the incident where Abai became despondent because he said he would have not been able to restrain himself from sin if he had been walking with a woman. He was told by Eliyahu and Avi, Kol Gadol Mechavero Yitzchol Gadol Hamen. Whoever is greater than his fellow, his Yetzirah is greater than his fellows as well. As Rabbi Shimon Lakish said, Yitzchol Shaladim Yitzgabro Lav Bechol Yom Umevakish Lamiso. A man's Yetzirah threatens every day to overpower him and seeks to kill him. Vimale Kosh Baruch Hu And if not for Kosh Baruch Hu aids him, him, he would be unable to withstand it. Daphne Gimel, so the Simmer Daphne Gimel is a Nigerian prince. So here goes. The Nigerian prince, Nigerian prince, that must be one Daph Nun Gimel. The Nigerian prince who was mourning the loss of his two scribes, which reminds of Yochanan said, A person's feet are his guarantors. To where he is summoned, there they lead him. Rashi explains that when one's time comes, his feet bring him to the place where he's meant to die. The Gemara brings the incident of Shlomo Melch, who tried unsuccessfully to save his two scribes from the Malchamavis when he sent them to lose. So the Nigerian prince, who was mourning the loss of his two scribes, overheard non-stop rejoicing in a shul that lasted for seven days straight, which reminds us it was taught in a brace where Bishub Mechananya said that when we rejoice at the Simcha's base of Shalabar, our eyes would see no sleep for all of Sukkot and proceeds to detail the activities that occurred from the beginning of the day through the night. The Gemara clarifies that Rabbi Shua meant that they did not enjoy a proper sleep, for they were only doze on each other's shoulders. So the Nigerian prince, who was mourning the loss of his two scribes, 
overheard nonstop rejoicing in a shul that lasted for seven days straight, featuring a massive orchestra that played on 15 steps. Which reminds us, the Mishnah Daf Nun Aleph Amabe stated that during the Simcha's base of Shaleva, the Levim, with their countless number of instruments, stood on the 15 steps that led down from the Ezra Sisrael to the Ezra's Nashim, Kenega the Chamishas Reishira Malos Shibateilam, Kenega the 15 Shira Malos that are in Teilam. The Gemara brings a source for the 15 Shira Malos when David Melk was excavating the pits beneath the Mizbech, the waters of the deep came up and threatened to flood the world. When David saw that the water had subsided to a depth of 16,000 Amos after he had thrown a shard with Hashem's name on it, based on Akitofa's Kavokomer from the Sota, he said that the higher the water, the more moist and fertile the earth will be. So he recited the 15 Shira Amos and brought the water back up 15,000 Amos until there were only 1,000 Amos below the earth's surface. All right, so that concludes today's year. This is Rabbi Avram Golden Zichu wishing you a great day and great learning.